True Crime Broads with Crystal and Renee. Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee. And we are so excited. We have a really special episode tonight. When Renee and I were at CrimeCon, we met a lady who had a table there and we were so impressed with her and her dedication to the case that she was there representing. And it's of her first cousin who was murdered back in 1985 and it's an unsolved case. So we invited her on the spot after we chatted with her a few minutes, we invited her to be on True Crime Broad. So we just now got around, we're getting around to interviewing her. Her name is Anita DeFrancesco and her cousin's name, the murder victim is Donna Gentili. So we're really looking forward to having her on. And um, Renee, um, that was fun meeting her at CrimeCon. I think we know for a fact we're going to definitely be going to all the crime cons from now on, aren't we? That was so fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just impressed. I mean, like, like you said, it's 36 years of dedication. So definitely. And, and CrimeCon was a lot of fun. Too. Yeah. And we made so many great contacts and had a blast. And um, before we uh, dial in Anita, we were going to read a quick review um, as we've been doing at the beginning of our episodes. And the title of this review, it's our most recent one, it says this case is solvable and they gave us five stars and the review nice. says, yeah, nice. And the review says, I love this show because it's created with an active belief in the solvability of the Missy case of Missy's case. Seriously, who cares about the quality of the audio? I don't even notice. Thank you ladies for your love and the way you value life. Missy will never be forgotten and her life mattered immensely. Let's highlight that and get this solved. So that's that was, a really nice one. Yeah, that was a great one. So I, I guess with that being said, um, if we don't, without further ado, we are going to introduce Anita. Stay tuned. We here at True Crime Broads are so excited to introduce our listeners to Anita DeFrancesca. Anita is a tireless advocate for her first cousin, Donna Gentili, who was murdered in San Diego County in 1985. The case remains unsolved. Anita, thank you so much for joining us on True Crime Broads today. Hello, Renee and Crystal, how are you? Nice to be here with you. We're great, it's so nice to finally have you on. Thanks for your patience with our crazy schedules and it was ah. fun. It was so fun meeting you at CrimeCon, and we are thrilled to finally be doing this. Um, please, if you don't mind, if you could just sort of introduce us to the case and kind of walk us up to how we got where we are today. Sure. Um, the Donna Gentili story, which is the name of the book, and Donna is a first cousin of mine. Uh, the story took place five years in San Diego with her ending up being murdered in 1985 in a time when women didn't have a voice, when, um, you know, she had worked. Well, let's start it this way. She was a runaway from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and she ended up uh, working, uh, so, so to speak, in the streets as a, as a prostitute. And during that time, she found herself getting involved with a lot of different policemen and uh, ones that would help her, ones that liked her. 
she sort of was a girl who just kind of fell into that life, but it wasn't something she wanted to stay in. And so as time went on, um, she um, always would send us letters. My mother had, my, that is my mother's brother's daughter. And my mother was the legal guardian of her brother who had lived with us in our South Philadelphia home. And so all of her letters and phone calls for those five years came to us. And we were all in our twenties at the time. I'm about eight years older than Donna. So she had died at 22 years of age. And I kept a tab on all of her letters and everything that she was sending us. And toward the end of her five years, it, it became like all these dangerous uh, messages were coming through, like my life is in danger, I'm going to be killed. And um, no one really took it serious. And I did because I thought, wait a minute, this, this, this girl was a girl, you know, working in the street. She wasn't a girl that was on drugs or anything like that, but she just had herself together. And during the course of that time, she had a boyfriend or two and she worked as a security guard. And, and when she worked as a security guard, she got off the streets. So she looked for anything, any type of job at her age 17 when she arrived there, that some, anything that she could do to support herself other than street work. And from time to time, she would have to go back to that kind of work. And these were what the letters said. Hey, I'm, I have a job now. I'm no longer doing the street work or I'm living with a guy. I'm, I met a boy. I'm going to get married and come home. And letters like that. I mean, I have about 20 of them. Right. And over the course of the time, uh, you know, she got involved with policemen and they took to her. They liked her. And she was... Um, you know, more or less, some of them probably were her, they were her clients because the police, there's an underworld there and they're men and they go for prostitutes as well. But Donna had a little bit, um, a little bit more of a, a relationship, we'll say, with them where they were helping her out or she was, um, you know, there for them. And to make the long story short, she had gotten involved with two policemen and one of them was, um, I don't know if I should be saying their names or not. Maybe not. Uh, you'll have to read the book for that. Um, one of them was the head of the prostitution unit. So he worked on keeping her out of jail. He took her off the streets. He was bringing her under his wing. But in the meantime, the way I perceived it is that she was doing, they were doing sex trafficking with her amongst the police. Whoa. Now, yeah, mild, but you know, it's okay to do sex trafficking in the sense of where everyone's in agreement. That's a different type of sex trafficking. But if somebody is trafficking you to their friends, it's considered trafficking. It's not considered being a hostage in the sense that we know sex trafficking. Uh, so she had gotten involved. And then another one, another policeman she was involved with was uh, wanted information on the, uh, the lieutenant. And to make the long story short again, it, it turned into a scandal and a triangle. And she uh, had to go to court and she went and reported one of the policemen um, for sexual harassment is the exact words that she used in the letter that I have in the book. And I thought, wow, 1985, I mean, women didn't really say sexual harassment as much as they do to, as much as you hear it today. Right. And, I mean, really, it was like when I read it, I was like sexual harassment, you know, like it was a term like I just discovered 10 years ago, right, not really, right. you know, in the time we're living and, and the generation. And um, so, so I thought, oh, my God, the, the police sexually harassed her. She went into the police department and to make to to to. So what happened was the the, the uh, internal affairs, they ended up ma making her a police corruption informant, uh, a confidential informant. 
to report on corrupt cops. So by this point, she's, um, are you there? Yeah? Yes, we're Hello? here. We're yes. here. Yeah, so when she reported this policeman and then she had to go to court, the one of the, both policemen got fired on account of her testimony. But one of them got his job back, the lieutenant, and they had demoted him and he stayed on until his retirement. But the other policeman who was a, a regular patrolman, they fired him completely. And so this is where the um, where a lot of um, the different theories come on her murder, because now the internal affairs makes her a police corruption informant, a confidential informant to report on corrupt cops. And usually when someone becomes a, uh, a confidential informant, they're trying to get less jail time, uh, they're, they're working off jail time, or they're getting a stipend pay. And when you're doing that, you can't be, say, if you're a drug dealer or a prostitute, you can't be engaging in those activities if you're a confidential informant. Right. And yeah, you can't be doing that because the police department, they're not giving you a big paycheck. They're paying you per DM for each day that you uh, help them out. But it was unheard of because she had a lawyer and a lawyer was trying to find out, what are you doing with my client? Why is she reporting on corrupt policemen? I mean, this is not the kind of thing you, you take a young girl, 22 years old and, or 21, she probably was at the time because she was murdered at 22, um, to, and she's a working girl in the streets to report on corrupt cops. So it was, uh, her lawyer was, was involved in all of this and he was trying to find out why the darkness, what was going on. Donna knew a lot. And this is the way I perceive it, that she had known a lot and she may have been considered a whistleblower blower in the sense, uh, for lack of a better term, she may have been considered a, a whistleblower. And she did report on a lot of cops because the articles, uh, the, one of the articles, seven cops had, had gotten um, called in or, or fired or demoted. And, but she was just going along with what they wanted her to do. Now, you remember, they're in control of her. She's in fear. Here's a girl that's in fear, that is believing them, is, is being betrayed by them at the same time. She was betrayed by them. They, were, they put a deadbolt on her door. They were supposed to put her in uh, like a, what do they call that, witness protection. Because now all these different cops got, got reported by some 21-year-old. And they're all losing their jobs or they're in fear of losing. And other cops who hadn't, who had, she hadn't reported were probably in fear. Like, whoa, if she took down a lieutenant, what, what else can she do? You know, so really they used her. She was in the middle of it all. She was in the middle of internal affairs. And she was in the middle with these two other cops because the one cop who got fired completely was after information from her on the lieutenant because lieutenant was that other cop's boss. But the, the other cop felt like, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander kind of mentality, where like if lieutenants could hang around with prostitutes and go on trips, she had went on a Colorado River trip with them, her and some other girls where they were dates, they called date, they call them dates. They were dates to policemen, lieutenants, and, you know, all, all in good fun. But really, if you're a working girl, you know, a policeman's not supposed to be with you. A lieutenant okay. is. Yes. Okay. But. This is where what happened. So the other cop had gotten a little bit, I guess, jealous or whatever. And uh, why could the lieutenants do it? And we can't because he had a little thing with her in the beginning. He took her on a ride along 
the one the one patrolman that was fired completely took her on a ride along. And what happened was in the beginning, when she first got there, when she was 17, Donna wanted to become a law enforcement person herself. We have uh, policemen and sheriffs in our family here in Philadelphia. She wanted to work in law enforcement. She had the brains. She had the independence. She had. She wasn't a girl that was uh, on any kind of chemicals or anything. Of course, she dabbled like we all did, but she what didn't have addictions, we'll say. And um, she uh, wanted to become, and that's why she took on the security uh, security job jobs at these like hotels and things because security guard because that was the step into working toward getting into law enforcement to having some background. And, um, but the one cop who she ended up getting fired completely, he took her on what they call a ride along, a, a civilian ride along. And you're not supposed to take like a drug dealer or a prostitute on a ride along. So he didn't know, he claimed, or allegedly says that he didn't know she was a prostitute. And then they found out and they gave him hell. And that's why five years later, when she was hanging out with the lieutenant and going on these trips and her and other working girls were going on trips and it was more or less understood that lieutenants could do what they want. And so the other cop kind of got jealous. That's where the whole scandals came. came. And that's when she went to save herself and the uh, San Diego Police Department pretty much betrayed her. They, you, know, they, Matt, you know, when you mentioned that she was working with internal affairs, I read that when I was looking into this case and that just was sort of jaw dropping. You know, I didn't see that coming. That just, that's just pretty wild. Well, the thing is, um, it, you know, when, you know, Donna was, um, I mean, they, they offered her that. I think they offered her because the Lieutenant got her a work furlough. She was supposed to do like, um, a hundred and some days in jail and only did like 60, which that's good. That's why. So Donna hung around with these places, but they liked her. You see, they liked her. They took her under the wing, the one, the one lieutenant who she had gotten demoted. And when the can of worms opened, when she went in and reported the uh, one police for sexual harassment in the letter, because see what happened was that policeman was harassing her for information on the lieutenant where she didn't want to give that information because she thought, oh my God, the lieutenant's helping me. Why would I you know, turn on him? He's my friend. And the other guy was just acting crazy and being jealous in a sense, not jealous of like a love thing, but jealous in the sense of like, what's good for the goose, you know, why could the Lieutenant, you know, and, and those, those higher up police go with uh, these, these prostitutes and take them away and it's all okay. You know, you know, and he, and when he took her on the ride along, they gave him hell and they, they demoted him or whatever back in, in the beginning when she first arrived there, because she had, she had aspirations of becoming a police. And so she became friendly with all the, Policeman. She had a lawyer that was very uh, fond of her, uh, Douglas Holbrook, who eventually was murdered or not murdered, but died at a very young age. And it looked like he was murdered. Honestly, people were being murdered. And it was just anything around her case was very, very delicate. You, there were reporters that were being fired if they brought it up in their news articles. And I have one in there that they couldn't talk about her. So they had her under so much pressure but they didn't save her. She went to them. She figured, you know, first of all, a working girl never walks in the police department, a prostitute in this day and age. They think the moment they do that, they're going to get arrested. Right. But 
say they want to walk in and report a serial killer that's on on the, on the street so to protect women out there you know working people out there but they 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 don't they don't have, that's why there's all this decriminalization out there now to protect the rights of these of these type of people but the thing is she went in because she was friendly with a lot of them they knew her they liked her and she felt like she was a cop herself in that sense um and um that's what that's where we're, the direction she was going so anyhow she she um she walks in and when she reported him that's later what they thought she's pretty slick and they make her a police corruption informant to report on the corrupt cops i mean who does that to a girl that age in the field of work she was in i mean that is like that is like really abusing somebody like that's why the nhi is on the book cover no humans involved Right. where the art where the artist came out later sort of like the george floyd thing you know they they protested and they faced that sign to the san diego police department because they she was she was considered like because of the line of work she did she was there was there was uh there was no um they didn't have to do a proper um, you know, investigation on her murder, and they could use her, and because they feel those type of people don't have families, uh -huh. and they're run, they're runaways, and you know, and 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 the NHI stems back from way back from from uh, you know, it's racism, and 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 people that used to be, they used to call the call it the um, people that um, uh, want. Uh, there was this um, this. Um, let me see if I have it here. Anyway, way back in the day, they called it the Wamba. He was a, um, somebody by the uh, name of Mr. Wamba, W-A-M-B-A-U-G-H. They, they uh, called them the wagon of drunks, and they were considered NHI, people that didn't matter, that they just drank and they were in the streets, or even people people of color and people that did, you know, were on drugs or prostitution. So they used her. And that's why the artists came together and made this whole thing about NHI because they felt that um, they murdered her in that sense, and they felt that it uh, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't fair justice. Why why would they betray her? And she even wrote in the letter. She even writes in the letter, the police department, San Diego Police Department, betrayed me. They. They said they were going to put a deadbolt on my door, and, and the other cop, the one who got fired, broke the deadbolt. And so they were supposed to put her in witness protection, and they didn't. And she had, you know, a huh? You know that is so sad because we uh, we did a another story. Um, I don't know, probably a couple months ago, on a, a, a woman by the name of Donna Brown that was killed in Galveston. And there was another person that was killed. Um, I, I can't remember if it was a month before her or after her, but nevertheless, uh, Donna Brown's story, you know, got some attention and, you know, coverage and so forth. And I asked the police officer why the other person never got any, you know, coverage. Nobody even knew about him. And she explained to me, well, he's a, a he's a transient and just somebody that just lives on the beach and basically nobody really cares. And I was just shocked. I was like, are you serious? That's still a human being that was murdered. <laughs> you know, doesn't make any sense. It's just sad. Well, yeah, that and um, see, the purpose of the NHI was to humanize. The purpose of what they did was to humanize the victims and demonstrate the violence against exactly. any woman. It's unacceptable. So violence against one woman is a violation to all women. 
Right. And, and, and it dates back in murder history on the East Coast. Um, Dick Lewis, who was a detective at the time around Donna's case, was she had, there were many detectives. There was Thomas Street that worked on it diligently. And he was part of the sheriff's office because she was found outside the county. So the sheriff's office had to take charge of it. I wonder why she was found outside the county and not in the actual county of San, in San Diego itself. And, and that right there to me is a red flag because I, um, when the uh, sheriff's office started to handle it, uh, they, they had to go through a lot. They, they were, um, I talk about Thomas Street in my book that they were uh, being pushed aside. They were not cooperating. The police department wasn't cooperating with them on this case. And so it was many years that it's a cold case. But what's interesting is, is that the autopsy is still sealed today. The coroner's office sealed that. Her autopsy is one of the first in San Diego and one of the only autopsies ever sealed there. Interesting. Yeah. I, I read that and I wondered about that myself. What would be the point in having it sealed this many decades later? That doesn't make sense. Well, the thing is, um, first of all, a lot of people are dead by this point because of the age. You know, oh, Donna was 22. So right. more, more than likely everyone around her was in their 30s at the time, 30s, you know, 35, 40. So they would be what they'd be like, maybe almost near 80 today. And um, the uh, thing is to go and try to get this, they, they will destroy evidence. They will, it's, it's a very delicate subject. It's a very delicate, it's, it's, they just are hiding something is what I believe. And maybe at this point, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't wanna bring, bring the truth out now with everything going on in the world. It sort of just fits right in with everything, I think. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, with everything that's going on now in the world, it sort of fits right in. Um, but, um, I, um, you see, um, yeah. So anyway, um, the cops, they didn't think they needed to go out of their way to protect people like this right. or, or, any, or any fringe members of society, you know, and, uh, see the NHI, it dates back to murder history. As Dick Lewis said, it was prevalent in California, Los Angeles and San Diego, but it, it was discovered the word NHI, no humans involved. There's not much on it in the internet, believe it or not. In a detect detective magazines that were East Coast detective magazines, if you buy those old detective magazines, you might see the uh, the acronym NHI in there. And I've bought some. I'm looking. You know, I'm still looking. But it sort of means less than dead in another sense. And uh, the female victims continue to be blamed, in particular, for the violence perpetrated against them. So her murder was labeled as a flawed investigation. And, so is um, NHI still active or is that an older organization? Um, well, it's not even an organization. What it is, is um, it's, it's, a word, it's a term they, they still use, but- I got you, yes. Primarily in Los Angeles and um, Los Angeles and, um, and, Cal and San Diego. I think more LA, actually. I used to live in LA 20 years, so. I, ne I, I never heard it until Donna's, uh, you know, thing. And um, there was a, um, let me see, I'm looking in the book here. Okay, there was um, the Sacramento Bee. Here's what they put with Donna's face in one of their articles. It's in my book on page 178. These were misdemeanor murders, biker women and hookers. Sometimes we'd called them NHIs. No humans evolved. San Diego Police Source, Sacramento Bay, October 7th, 1990.
misdemeanor murders? Yeah, misdem these were misdemeanor murders. Well, this is what someone at the San Diego police source from the Sacramento Bee said, and it's a, just a quote that I have on her picture that I found in the internet. Oh, okay. these, these were misdemeanor murders, murders, biker women and hookers. Sometimes we'd call them NHIs that no humans involved. So I don't know why misdemeanor, where misdemeanor murders comes from, but meaning that probably they were misdemeanor, a lot of them, biker women, hookers, but they called them NHIs because of what they did. Like their life didn't matter. And uh, so, so anyway, all of that happened. And um, where we are today is that we'd love to, it's still a cold case, but we'd love to get this uh, autopsy open. And it revolves, right. it revolves um, this whole thing, um, you know, revolves around women of today because Donna was a girl who was silenced at home. She was uh, a young girl who ran away from abuse at home and she was silenced by her mother and no one believed the different, the abuse that was going on there. And when she went to California, San Diego, she um, was working toward, you know, being someone who had a voice. She was resilient. And the resiliency probably when she went, went in to fight for herself, she didn't realize that this was a dangerous road to take to walk in a police department and report a policeman. That if she, if there were women lawyers around back then or women supporters like we have today, they would have advised her not to do that because that was a dangerous move on her part. Because, you know, a girl like her, the cops are going to come out to kill you. Mm -hmm. And that, that's where she made the statement. The she made a, a tape back then. They made little, those little um, audio tapes where she gave it to her lawyer. And I've still been trying to get this tape from somebody. But uh, it says, um, I feel someone in a uniform can still be a serious criminal. She said the whole thing. It was a, a long, I don't know, you probably saw it. Um, it says, uh, in case I disappear yes, somewhere. I yeah, yeah. So. She actually predicted her own murder. That's she knew. So she predicted. Scary. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, she knew that she knew too much. And she had called us and said, my life's in danger in the letter, on the phone. Uh, I can't leave my horse. Now, her horse there, you know, she, um, it, was, it was expensive to have a horse. And she had, you know, horses are spirit animals. So she had this connection, this love. I mean, with the life that she had been, you know, um, faced with, uh, the horse was something she couldn't leave. And <clears throat> when it was time for her to come back, uh, she says, I'm not gonna leave even though my life's in danger until I can get my horse to go with me. And uh, we told her, please come, you know, leave the horse. And uh, she, she, couldn't, she couldn't do that because her resiliency overruled her entire psychological self. Excuse me, I have a little... Her um, resiliency, um, you know, took over her feeling. She felt that she was, uh, you know, she was strong enough to deal with what whatever was coming. Yeah, but, I, I saw where she said when she gets out of, when she was in jail, she said, when I get out of here, I'm not safe. You know, that's just really crazy. Right. Something happened she, to her right after that. Well, early on, yeah, so... See, so so for her, not having a voice is is what my big thing is. Is that right. she was oh she was a girl who walked in a courtroom, and it was a court, and and the media, the news media was there, and 
two cops got fired. You know, I don't know anybody in 1985 that, especially a woman that's a that's a, a working girl, getting cops fired. And right. Like like they do today. Everybody, oh, cops are getting fired left and right. But today, and uh, they're you know it's they're all leaving the, the the force because it's dangerous. And but back then, she was a woman with a voice, and she. Um, she, she um, you know, she stood up for herself. And this is what, this is what the amazing thing is how she stood up for herself because, um, you know, um, it was just unheard of. Um, oh. Like I have, I have this saying, it's a fearless woman is strong when it comes to facing hard situations. They're confident in who they are, what they believe. And in their example of fearlessness, they encourage others to be courageous and make a difference. While many think of men first when it comes to these strong figures, there are also a number of important women in the Bible who inspire not only because of how they lived, but also because of their rock solid faith, even in some of the toughest of circumstances, because they fought injustice and dared to lead. So we can learn a great deal from these women. That comes from the fearless daughters of the Bible. And that's who Donna was. I mean, we can learn from her story because she stood up for herself and without the woman's support behind her. Exactly. And if she yeah. had, if we had, you know, Gloria Alred or those kind of people back oh, then. Oh, goodness, yes. I mean, this would have been, uh, so the whole thing went viral, actually. Her whole story went viral at the time. Um, I have a question about the autopsy. What kind of reaction does the family get when you guys try to ask them why it's still sealed, how do they respond or do they respond? <clears throat> no, I, um, I, ha we haven't, that was a while back when we, uh, there, there is no, um, we haven't uh, had any, um, any uh, contact with the coroner's office since then. Uh, okay. So there hasn't, it's been a very long time, but, um, that, uh, but I am afraid to do anything because whatever evidence is left may get destroyed. Because this is a very, this was something that everybody was hush hush about. I mean, report, a couple of reporters got fired back then for, for writing a story about it. Wow. This was like today. You see today how everybody gets fired for things now, like that page we're on. Yes, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. it was going on then. Like one or two reporters. I have one uh, story in there where the reporter said, Donna begged not to get out of jail. And <clears throat> this um, warden, a oh, female warden, had to take her somewhere. And she said, Donna begged to stay in jail a little bit longer wow. because she felt, she felt she was safer there. That's pretty and, uh, incredible. That's a pretty big testament to how much danger you think you're in. If you would rather be in jail. Really? And this particular woman took it to, and I have the, the, the story in there from some reporter. I don't know what page it's on, but this particular warden or nurse or whomever, I think they were taking Donna somewhere uh, to get checked or whatever. And Donna said, I want to stay in jail longer and my life's in danger. This particular reporter said uh, she had written something about it and they said if you write anything again you're going to be fired or they fired them and they had to withdraw the article and uh i got a copy of it but uh, it, that's what was going on this is how this is how much so this is how much they were in fear of a young girl a young woman a woman and mm -hmm. she's 22 and she's a working girl in the street mm -hmm. who has a brain and a head and she's like together and she wants to be one of you you know yeah. uh, 
and they and they were in fear of her so much fear that they had to go murder her can you believe it she sounds like she was a very powerful young woman and very smart yeah I'm trying to to think of what can be done now. Um, What do you think we we could do now to bring some attention to this case? I know you said you feared that they might destroy evidence if if some light is shed on it now. What what do you think can be done to move forward? Because well, well, here's the thing: the CBS had moved forward about a couple of years ago, which uh, David Gopperson interviewed me which I have that video that he did on my book on the website, but he interviewed me and they, they approached, which I have that in the beginning of the book, they went in and tried to get the autopsy open. So they did approach this. See, they're working on it without us because they can, it's, it's public domain. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so he, uh, Dana Copperson, let me see the letter here. Um, he already approached the coroner's office and the two letters that I have them in the book saying that at this time we can't do anything. And David Gopperson and the CBS said, um, it's been like this many years and we would like some cooperation now. They're still trying to do it, the, the news media out there, um, trying to get this, this opened and her the autopsy. And um, one of the, um, let me see here. Um, yeah, those, letter, those letters from the CBS in the book, but one, the San Diego coroner um, said that um, Stark, his name was at the time, told the Tribune that he no longer completes or releases autopsy reports while a murder investigation is continuing and results are available only to law enforcement, um, which Donna's case is considered cold case. So I would imagine it's considered an, an open investigation if it's a cold case. Um, and and uh, but uh, I'm looking for that letter from, from the, uh, here it is, CBS News. As recently as 2015, investigative producer David Gottfriedson of CBS in San Diego requested that the San Diego County Medical Examiner to release Gentile's autopsy under the California Public Records Act. The agency issued a denial letter which said that the San Diego County Sheriff's Department wanted to keep the autopsy sealed. You want me to read what it says here? I would sure like to know why they still think it needs to be sealed. Yes, please continue. This is on page 141 of the book. It said, until this directive is rescinded by the investigating agency, we are unable to release any information or provide any copies of our reports regarding this case. The public interest in the release of these reports and the information contained within does not outweigh the public's interest to withhold this information as it may interfere with law enforcement's investigation and or a successful prosecution. So, yeah, so it's bull, it's all bull. They're just, the the letters are here, which you can see them in there, they're in the book. And that was as as recent as 2015. So for me to do anything, I'm I'm not, as a family member, it's, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good for me to to go into this. It's somebody that like a reporter or a sheriff has to do it. That's that's all we can do. I don't know what else to do at this point. Man. And uh, let's see. Um, the police department said that there were no suspects of Donna's murder. You know, and uh, I think for them to take the life of a young girl 
my first cousin, and I had lived through this whole thing. I moved to California to find, to go try to find who her, who killed her. So I got involved in all these. That's when I put this book out. And I put this book out at this time. I put it out in 2018, only because of everything. I was afraid to put out a true crime book. You know, I, I wrote another book on something else, but not true crime. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'm afraid. Uh, maybe I'm going to get murdered next, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I can understand why you would be uneasy for sure. Definitely. You know, then, then when I put the book out, I got all these phone calls from all these different detectives that knew her and stuff. And, and it was like, I'm like, oh my God, I started to get scared. Like whose name did I put in there? Oh my God. Did I say alleged? What, what was the feedback like from the detectives that contacted you? Oh, some of them said they knew who, who killed her and I knew her. I think a lot of them might've been her clients, hmm. you know, or like I knew her, she was really a great person and, yeah. and she, she really got the, the, you know, the, 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 the bad end of things here. But then, then others might say, well, I really knew who killed her. And, uh, and most of these people that had called me would, were pretty much retired. And, um, but they, um, I just kind of got, a little bit. And I only put it out now at this time in our, because of what's going on in the world, everything, you know, I right. thought it was the perf perfect timing. It really is. And now what was, what was their reasoning that they gave you? If, if some of these people said they knew who killed her, why didn't they report that to the right place? Well, because I think everyone was on edge. I think if anyone did, they would, they could find themselves murdered. But what about this many decades later? Wouldn't why wouldn't they come forward with the truth now? Wouldn't they feel safe now? Uh, uh, I I um I think that hmm, I think that it would make the department look bad. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It would make them look bad, and then maybe they would have to. We would have a civil suit. They'd have to dish out money, you know, for this unnecessary you know, this the futility of her murder. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, what, why, why would they murder a young girl like this? Because she knew a little bit mm -hmm. and you guys were betrayed her. See, they betrayed her mm -hmm. and they were supposed to protect her and put her in witness protection. They did not do that. And in the I letter, just, I wish those people today who say they think they know who did it would come forward and let a proper investigation happen if possible at this point. It just seems like this many years later, there should be some people there at the county willing to look at this through a different set of eyes. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we're, we're, we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Okay. I think that uh, her lawyer was so um, uh, aggressive on the whole case after her murder. He was, he was, uh, you know, working toward with the police department, wanting to, find out as much information as he can about what she was doing for IA. And uh, he came up against a few walls, mm -hmm. just like Thomas Street did. He was the main detective on this and he came up against a few walls and they came up against a few walls. But, you know, the, Douglas Holbrook, her attorney was so, such a good friend of hers. Donna rode horses with his uh, one of the female uh, attorneys in his office. Donna was friendly, but these were her friends, and the cops were her friends. The, right. Everyone was friend, and then she got betrayed like that. So when Douglas Holbrook came up against these walls, he kept pushing. He had a radio show back then 
uh, a little radio show, and he talked a lot about Donna's case and other cases, murders and different things. And he died young. And from what from what I heard, he might have been murdered. Wow. From what I heard, all the information that I'm finding out now. Yeah. There was a good chance that he could have been murdered. Wow. Because he was, he was pushing the envelope with this. Now, remember, he's a lawyer. He was her mm -hmm. lawyer. Right. So he would continue. And then he had a radio show where he was announcing and talking and broadcasting, you know, and San Diego is a small town. So it's kind of, um, you know, everybody knows everything. Everybody knows your business. It's a, it's a small area, small place. But um, that's that's what I heard. But I don't know that for sure. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, I, I, I he died young and someone said there was some some uh, question about how he died. You know, he could have been because he was pushing the envelope on her case. And, uh, but it was, um, I, I want this autopsy opened now. You right. Know, um, she was just a girl who ran away, who was innocent, who was saving herself in any way that she can from the life she had in Philadelphia with her stepdad and her, you know, the, the Philadelphia, what was going on. She, she wanted to have a normal life in her letters. I'm coming back. I'm going to get married. I met a boy. I mean, it was a lot of that kind of talk. And, um, but she was silenced, abandoned when she speaks of her hardships at home. And she, she was, uh, you know, resilient. So the resiliency kind of overpowered her where she thought she was, you know, unbreakable, I guess. Right. Uh, you know, unbreakable and um and that's where uh where the um you know where women would have helped her supportive women i agree you know, yeah and what uh, about the mainstream media today what what can we do to help all of us podcasters and people like yourself advocates what can we do to try to get attention and get the mainstream media looking into this and get some real investigative reporters you know we found one of the main cases, the main case that we are into here at True Crime Broads is the Missy Beavers case. And we've been really surprised. I don't know what happened to those old school investigative reporters that would stop at nothing. They, they don't seem to really be around anymore. <laughs> Have you found that to be the case with Donna's case when you try to get coverage? Well, I got the CBS. They're on it all the time over there. in, um, And they contacted me. I didn't even. That's great. Uh, yeah. Um, other. Um, other medias, I haven't really reached out to. Uh, maybe the New York Times I did. Her whole story was in New York Times, LA Times. Um, I, I think I sent the book. Oh, yeah. I, San Diego newspaper was supposed to do something. And then in the middle of the pandemic, they were supposed to do something on a 35 years of our anniversary, which was last year at the time of the pandemic. So right. he put me off on that, the reporter there. And um, too much news going on with that. And um, so now I, uh, I could, I could uh, address, you know, I could reach out to LA Times or the San Diego again, or even the New York Times um, to see if anybody, but you know, I, I had dealt, I was in, in the office in LA with Oxygen TV and they were going to do a story. Now Nancy Grace said she's going to do something. Uh, oh, when I met wonder, that would be wonderful. I, I, I met, yeah, Nancy Grace. I met her at the uh, crime con. And, um, but I was at Oxygen Television in California, in LA, and they were going to do a story on this, but they wanted new evidence. They wanted to, to mm -hmm. know that the autopsy is being opened. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's time for the media to question why it's still closed, um, why it's still sealed. Um, right. It's a long <laughs> time. Yeah. Well, well, the uh, the CBS has been on it, and they, um, I, uh, I really, you know, at this point, for me to do something, I could wreck things if I were to step in as a family member. And but I, I have some other people that are working on on something that may may um, you know, that may go and try to get this open. But it has to be by someone in in, um, in media or law for you know law enforcement that could get this open it has to be yes. someone there. the family's not going to have much pull at this point i mean because it's, it sounds like they can only release these things to to law enforcement with yeah. the permission and see at the time you know there was a lot of corruption going on in the san diego police department at that time uh they were they were under you know they were under the a lot of um a lot of uh, they were trying to do a lot of cover up at the time, and uh, which was, um, you know, a lot of police departments had a lot of corruption. Now you see it in, the, in this day and age, it's it's a little bit more apparent to us. But uh, back then, they were trying to hide anything that was corruptive, and uh, I think there was because of the corruption and a case like this, it would have brought them down. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, we certainly hope here at true crime broads that something changes and please let us know how we can help we just have a podcast but we're always up for helping in any way we can so if you think of anything don't hesitate to contact us renee did you have any questions for anita no i'm just i'm blown away that it, it is uh went the way it has for the the length of time it has it just i'm just in shock it's crazy yeah. Um, really yeah. Is. If you think of anything that we can do, or if you know any other media that wants to, yes. you know, try try to get in there. I mean, the CBS is really on it out there in in um, in uh, San Diego. He's on it. David Gopperson. He is really wonderful, and awesome. uh, and I even have Thomas Street, the detective, and he's been wor working on it. But he told me just to let him do it. You see, so I think it's not my position to do it. Interesting. Well, we will definitely, hopefully we'll have some listeners that have some ideas and we will definitely keep you in mind and keep in touch and see if there's something we can do. We have a PR person that works for us a good bit of the time and maybe she can help spread the word about Donna's story. I know she listens. Hi, Jennifer. So we will, um, we'll definitely put our heads together and circle back with you. Um, this is just a terrible case and we're so happy that you came on our show to share it with us and share it with our listeners and raise awareness for Donna. Okay. Well, it was, it's my pleasure to be here with you. I'll send you some stuff, maybe the picture of the book that you can put up or something. Oh yes, definitely. And no, uh, we will, we will have all of that on our social media. And if you would like to, um, check out Anita's social media her um right now she is on Instagram as the Donna Gentile story and it's g-n-t-i-l-e and Facebook and Facebook okay wonderful and um yes please check her out there she has a book on Amazon by the same name the Donna Gentile story that's the name of the book and it's on Amazon right now and um well, Anita, we, maybe we can have you back again sometime after there's been some progress. We would love to have you back. And if you, absolutely. And if you think of any follow-ups, anything you want to share with us or our listeners, please just 
contact us. You have our email address or feel free to get with us through social media. I just followed you on Instagram before we started recording. So we would love to stay in touch. And there's more on Facebook. Yeah. More on Facebook. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. I'll definitely get on your Facebook too today then. And Um, all the blogs are on the website, the DonnaGentilyStory.com. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yes. Your website by the same name. Um, Okay, okay, everyone. Well, thanks, Anita, so much for your time. And we will definitely talk to you soon. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us for True Crime Broads. And we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Talk soon. Yeah.